It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to. Lots to talk about. Made a comment uh, in the last show about AI, about the FTC, uh, proposing some new ruling. Got some interesting responses from my my right-wing friends who are... And this is weird, because this shouldn't be a red hat, blue hat issue. But evidently, since I have come out and said that Lena Khan has done, I think, moved in the right direction, that we should be getting ahead of this instead of falling further behind... Some of the, the MAGA crowd were like, what are you afraid of AI? And and the answer is yes. <laughs> what are you, a Luddite? Not so much. But Leary, worried about where we're, we're heading and, and worried for my Red Hat friends as well because, well, AI is here. It's not coming. It's already here. And, and I, I got into a couple of interesting back and forths uh, and, and was able to share some of my concerns, some of my fears about what this meant. And I thought, you know what, maybe this is a good place to start today's program in that, look, I'm not a Luddite. I don't think we destroy the machines yet. I don't think that that's something that should be off the table. But the reality is, is there's a lot in the AI space to be concerned about, especially if you're a working person, especially if you're someone like me who who goes to work every day, punches a clock and earns a living like most of us. So I had someone ask me, you know, what were my fears? And, you know, obviously the, the most obvious ones are the job displacement to start uh, de-skilling the, the jobs that we do, um, you know, the loss of ability to control our workspace the loss of bargaining power. And you go, well, how, what do you mean by all that? Well, job displacement, AI. Look, these companies wouldn't be moving towards automation and artificial intelligence if there wasn't a massive payoff by getting rid of you, by getting rid of actual human people who do the jobs that they need to get done. Because understand, workers are, are negatives on the balance sheet. In, in a capitalist society, you're a cost. You're a cost in the factor of production that gets in the way of their profit. So if they can get rid of you, <laughs> robots, automation, machine, mechanized, they're going to do that. And this idea, well, you know, we, we can't raise the minimum wage because they're going to, they're going to automate. If you cost a dollar an hour and the machine costs 99 cents, you're gone. So for me, obviously the job displacement is the bigger part of this. Now understand, and I do get this. That AI and, and better technology helps make people's jobs better, makes people more productive, which means that if you had the bargaining power to collectively bargain for the increase in productivity and the obvious profit that comes along with that, that would be a good trade-off. Sadly, we don't have the same level of bargaining power. And as AI empowers employers to, well, negotiate from the position of, well, if you want to raise, I'll just replace you. Well, do you think that would have a negative on the uh, on the fight for better wages, hours, conditions? I kind of do. But also not just the loss of jobs and the loss of bargaining power, but also the loss of 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 control of the job. 
you know, we already see technology in the workplace that's constantly barking at you to do more, work faster, move something quicker. Hey, why aren't you where you're supposed? Constant surveillance, constant, well, devaluing you as a, as a human being, a decision-making human being, and directing you as just a, basically a human robot. You're just doing what you're told at every moment through a, a bunch of, you know, algorithms or computer programs that have, have no interest in you or your, your ability to maintain a certain pace or any of that or any of that. You're just a machine there to produce a, a profit. And that's all the machine sees. So are we surprised when these workplaces burn people out at, at alarming rates? No. And that's the goal also. Uh, the quicker we can get you along down the road, the quicker they can bring somebody else in. And this, again, comes back to this surveillance state that my right-wing friends, oddly enough, because I keep hearing them talk about, oh, 15-minute cities are coming, and they're, you know, there's, uh, what's the social, the social scoring system? Well, AI should be something you should be going... Maybe we should be restraining the this this surveillance state that's coming through AI powered technology. Uh, no, you've got people who want to put chips in their arms so they can they can punch in easier or they can buy something at the vending machine with a swipe of their palm. It's absolutely crazy where we are. And oh, let's not forget the the fact that, well, understand. With all of this pressure, not just on the jobs and the lower wages and all the stuff that comes with it, but the psychological effect that comes with the constant harassment, the constant surveillance, the constant fear of being replaced, the stress, the anxiety, the insecurity, all of this stuff, the, the, the social psychological impact that this has on people and is going to have, which means for the rest of us who may not be affected initially by AI, this is going to make more desperate, more angry, more unpredictable people who are going to do desperate, unpredictable things. I don't know. Have you been noticing shootings going on? We got the avail easy availability of guns. So all of this stuff, you know, has me going, we should, as a matter of citizens, as a matter of workers, as a matter of, of voters and, and, and policymakers, Maybe, maybe we get ahead of this to ease some of those things, to regulate some of what corporate America can do, how, how much control they can have over your lives. Now, understand, um, in the trucking industry, uh, I was, you know, front and center when they wanted to put trucks, you know, forward facing trucks out into the street, which I'm, I'm not against, but the ones pointing right at you, the driver, so they can watch every moment. They can see every blink of the eye, every time you sneeze, every time you breathe, if you're singing to the songs or not, if you're talking to yourself or the imaginary person in the cab with you, they want to and collect it all. And look, someone said to me, no, they don't do that. Yeah, they actually, they actually measure how long you blink. That's how this technology, how far this has gone. Because, well, you know, he could be falling asleep. And, and understand, it's not to help you. It's not to help you feel better or be a better driver or be a better worker. No, no. It's about protecting the company interests. It's about where blame goes in the event something bad happens. Because on the other end, AI is pushing new work every second you can po possibly work. Those wheels had better be turning every second possible. 
pushing you to the, to your maximum. And I've had people go, well, we should want to do that. We should want to be the best we could be. And yeah, that not every day and not for, for 40 years. And the other things that we, we haven't talked about at all in talking about AI is, is the bias and the discrimination that would come out of this. You know, whoever makes the machine sets the norm. Well, what if you fall outside that norm? Now you're going to have some kind of, there's always going to be some kind of bias in these, some kind of discriminatory setup systems, whatever, however you want to put this, which will, again, cause more disruptions. And, and as we know, um, desperation and disruption and, and chaos causes more desperation, disruption and chaos. So for me, this idea of, of using AI in the workplace has a lot of problems, a lot of ethical concerns about how we're going to use these new technologies in a way that is responsible, in a way that um, doesn't misuse people, and that gives people the ability to have some, some dignity and some psychological well-being. And for me, that all comes into having bargaining power as these things are being implemented. It's not there yet. And our legislative process has done virtually nothing to help us. I look at Congress, there's nothing there, man. There's nothing. And this should be a nonpartisan thing. If you're afraid of big tech, and I am as well, if you're afraid of giant corporations controlling everything you see and hear and read and spend and every aspect of your life, this is something you might want a nonpartisan, all hands on deck solution toward some guardrails on what corporate America and ultimately government can gather about you, what they can, what they can, how far into your mind and your psyche can they go? Now, look, we give a lot of this stuff away. You go on dating apps, you go on all these apps, and you give them permission to, to, to basically every keystroke that you make, they, they record. We give that permission away so we could have a free app. Um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this AI girlfriend thing now. I can't wait to see the crazy data that comes out of this. We willingly give insight to our psyche and our, our personal lives all the time. Shouldn't we have some say on what people use that information for and how corporate America is going to be able to use it and how your employer is going to be able or potential employer is going to be able to use whatever it is that you put out into the clouds. Right now, there's nothing. You have no protections of your data. You have no protections of any of the information that's out there. You're, for all intent and purposes, screwed. So when I bring up the fact that I'm happy that, that there's something being done, not nearly enough in my view, but something, and I get a negative response from people who just want to make this a red hat, blue hat issue, I, I just, I wonder if it's not too late already. I wonder if we have it lost already. Because for working people, this should be an enormous issue. This should be a big deal because it's coming for all of us. From the person who works at the fast food joint to the open heart surgeon. Everyone it's coming for. 
Want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at thericksmithshow.com. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, Lisa Gilbert from Public Citizen is going to be here to share some thoughts on the AI situation. Back after this. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work... For America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So recently, the Federal Trade Commission proposed uh, new protections to combat AI impersonations for individuals. Now, look, they've already had a rule in place that you can't impersonate uh, corporate America or government. That's been in place. This, uh, as I understand it, would outlaw... Well, people impersonating you or me or an individual for the purposes of committing fraud, like copying your voice and calling granny and saying, hey, send us money. Uh, so it's this is, I think, a step in the right direction, considering we're so far behind on this. Uh, but they, as I understand, this could also go after the AI firms uh, if their their tools are being used fraudulently. Could be. Uh, we'll see where this goes and here to share some thoughts on what this could mean and maybe just how far behind we are on the AI front. I've asked Lisa Gilbert to come talk with us. Lisa is the executive vice president over there at Public Citizen, citizen.org, the website. Lisa, thanks for taking time for us. Thanks so much for having me. So walk me through what you think this uh, this proposed new rule change is. And look, I love the, the work that Lena Khan's been doing over at the FTC. I think this is something that I'm sorely uh, behind on. Uh, walk me through what this is. Yeah, um, well, as you said, the FTC just finalized a rule that deals with government or business impersonation, um, but they are now seeking to go further, um, looking for public comment on their idea that we should also prohibit the impersonation of individuals. And exactly as you said, um, you know, this is a surging problem right now, um, impersonation fraud, uh, the idea that, um, you know, impersonated individuals might persuade you in a targeted manner because it's someone you know or someone you trust uh, to do something uh, that uh, loses you money or uh, gets you engaged in a long-term scam. Uh, that's something the FTC is here to stop. And so we're really thrilled uh, to see that they're trying to move forward with this kind of rule. Yeah, I had a listener you know, email me recently and say that, you know, they they either it happened to them or they they heard it happen to them anecdotally, but that you know someone used their voice to call a relative, and 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 basically beg for money, and and I'm going, are we at that technological point yet that someone can imprint your voice from a phone call, which this person thought it was? An, I don't know, but for me, this this seems like a good a good rule to go. Maybe we don't allow that to happen. 
Absolutely. And we are um, unfortunately very much at the technological point where that is very possible and in fact already happening. Um, we hear as a consumer group, you know, lots of horror stories of, you know, people being called by their daughter, um, you know, or their friend um, telling them that they've been in a car accident or they have, you know, have some reason that they need funds immediately, you know, help me. Um, and if it's a voice you trust, which you can get uh, via AI uh, you know, generation very easily from a tiny example, uh, if you can extrapolate out uh, a call or a video um, that really feels like the person you know, it's pretty hard to, to say no or to not help your, your friend or family members. So, yeah. um, you know, this, uh, the, the cool additional thing that this rule would do if it, if it comes into being is that it might also uh, penalize the AI firm itself, the platform uh, that created that, that image or that video or text um, you know, if the sort of CEO or the folks in charge knew um, that that was how their product was being used. Yeah, and that's, I think that's an important point. But you know, back to the, the, the impersonating thing. You know, mm -hmm. we had Dana Nessel, the attorney general of Michigan on the show not too long ago, talking about identity theft and this in particular. And her advice yeah. was very clear. When this, if this happens and so you get this call, take a breath and say, hey, I'll call you back. Uh, you make that contact. Don't don't get hung up in the, the immediacy of the moment because that's how these scam artists and these con artists make their hay. But, you know, in, in looking at this, you talk about holding these firms accountable. What do you say to the person who goes, well, you know, the firm, they didn't do anything wrong. They, they're just, it's just their tool. You know, this they, they can't help their tools being misused. I mean, I I don't think that's right. <laughs> I think that it should be unlawful. Um, you know, if a platform created the the image or the video or the text, you know, they know or they have a reason to know that you know it could be used to harm consumers through impersonation. I mean, you're culpable as the the executive or the board that created the product that it's used safely and uh, it's not using the you know it's not harming others. I mean, it's your it's your product at the end of the line. You are responsible for what it is uh, impacting and how it, it could be harming others. So could this be one of these moments? Because I keep saying, you know, the, the sad reality is when we, we hold corporations accountable, it's usually a slap on the wrist. It's a, maybe a fine. It's maybe, hey, we'll post a notice to promise to never do it again until we do it again the next time. You know, I keep saying, you know, these, these rules have to have some teeth. Uh, maybe we start locking some of these people up and maybe that would be a good deterrent to not allow it to happen in the first place instead of, yeah, we did it. Um, we'll post a notice and say we're sorry. I mean, I would, I would hope so. I, I can't, uh, it's hard to know in advance of the rule being finalized exactly what the penalties will be. But one of the good things about this rule is it does give the FTC stronger tools. You know, they are going to be able to directly file court cases aimed at forcing any of these scammers to return money that they might be making from the scam. Um, you know, it just really will improve yeah. the agency's ability to require defendants to do things, return money. Um, and, and there is certainly the potential of moving towards criminal uh, liability, but uh, not clear if this rule will get us all the way there, but I completely agree with you that, um, you know, people should be held culpable. There should be real fines. There should be real consequences. Um, corporations who just build in, um, you know, deterrence into their business model, do things again. If they, if they already knew that, uh, you know, it's just a tiny slap on the wrist, they're not going to um, be stopped from perpetrating these future frauds. You know, the reason I say that, uh, Lisa, is because, you know, look, a lot of these crimes are done by people overseas that, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to go get the individual who's trying to trying to take granny for, you know, whatever they can gift cards they can get out of them or, or whatever. A lot of this stuff is done by foreign operators. So to go after the people who are, you know, 
providing them with the the access to this country and the the ability to get to granny i think that's that's where the that's where the enforcement really should be in my view yeah i uh, couldn't agree more and and as you know i think uh public citizen our mission is to take on corporate power and so you know for, at our core we are always thinking about how to get to those that created the tools you know the firms and the industries that underlie the scams that are being perpetrated um so absolutely uh that needs to be a part of any remedy and i think you know the FTC is is uh, using every tool in their toolkit. I think it's something Lena Khan has been fabulous at thinking about what are the limits of the FTC's authority and doing everything they can. Um, but AI fraud is a huge problem, not just in consumer contexts, but also in election contexts or um, you know financial contexts. You know they could swing the market with a deep fake. Um, you know could impact our securities laws and, and uh, you know it could impact so many things. We really need every agency to follow her lead and tackle the piece of it that is that is in their purview. Yeah, it seems to me, and I've had these conversations with friends, it seems like to me like this is a tool, not just for what our purposes is what we're talking about, but AI in general, the, the disruptive nature of what it's going to have on jobs, what it could have on, on elections, what it could have on, as you pointed out, uh, the markets. It seems like a, a tool that maybe we, we shouldn't have. It, it seems like maybe it's, um, well... I don't know, uh, something that maybe we shouldn't allow people to, uh, to to toy with. Maybe maybe not give them the button to destroy humanity. Maybe maybe not. Um, I mean, I certainly think that there are huge risks to the use of AI in tons of contexts. I think, unfortunately, the genie's a little bit out of the bottle on um, taking it away, walking back the technology because we had no guardrails for it because it exploded in kind of an arms race. And now all the big tech companies have their own version and are pushing to expand it and insert it into their regular search engines, you know, into every sort of existing way we interface with the internet. It is hard to just take it away. However, we can certainly think about the uses and think about, you know, where, as we were just saying, existing agencies can use laws that are already on the books to rein it in. So the FTC, as you mentioned, um, the Federal Communications Commission recently did something banning AI use in robocalls. That's going to be hugely important for the same kinds of reasons we were just discussing. Um, and Public Citizen has actually petitioned the Federal Election Commission um, to put out a rule that would uh, require labeling of AI when it is used in fraudulent advertising in elections. So there's lots to do, um, but unfortunately, I don't think we can just stop it. So, so what I, what I wanted to get from you here is that that something's being done. Because here's my fear, my here's my problem. Uh, we are, as you pointed out, so far behind on this, um, yeah. and and I want people to think that you know maybe we're we're doing something. Because look, we're playing catch up, as you've pointed out. Again, not just in in electoral politics, not just you know in in you know in interpersonal communications in the workplace and all these. It's everywhere, and and very soon, I my fear is we we can't catch up. Um, I mean, I'm fearful of that, too. I hope that, uh, you know, the immediacy of the issue and also the bipartisan nature of the threat is causing people to think about it differently. I, I mean, we have seen that, um, you know, for example, at the state level, um, we've been pushing a model deep fake bill um, around elections and having huge success. Um, you know, 32 states have introduced bills to try to ban deep fakes, you know, that and many of them led by Republicans uh, or bipartisan. And so it's it's um, there are places where there is a lot of momentum because this is so present as a threat. Um, but, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat, and I know you're not, <laughs> that the risks are huge um, if we don't move fast. And it's not as if 
Congress or federal agencies are known for that kind of speed. No, no, exactly. And and look, you know, as as someone who's a labor guy, you know, in the workplace, AI is going to be you know incredibly disruptive, and and is in in some places already. We already hear stories of AI management that you know it's constantly monitoring and constantly pushing and constantly you know basically harassing workers in the workplace. Uh, this mm-hmm. this kind of thing, I fear, you know, we we see expanded. And while it becomes something that even my right-wing friends uh, fear and, and and are troubled by. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think um, AI is permeating literally every issue and topic right now. A big one is, is worker displacement, as you discussed. You know, if an AI can do the job, will a worker still have a job? Um, or uh, the practices in the workplace, you know, how is it being used for hiring? If the algorithm that it decides to use is biased, yeah, will it impact who comes on and diversity? Um, you know, is it monitoring uh, the pace of workers and, and it being used for you know, salary changes or, or penalties? I think you know the, the consequences of this. It, it's almost hard to. It's dystopian. It's kind of science fiction. Like thinking about how many ways it can impact our lives. Um, you know, I mean, the thing we truly need is a comprehensive privacy bill uh, from Congress and an AI package. I think uh, hard to imagine in our current state of Congress that we'll get that. So it really is, what can we patchwork um, for the moment? Because we, we have no choice. We have to try every option. Yeah, and look, as every day goes by and every day we don't get something done, it gets that much worse. So, you know, this this proposed rule change, uh, there, there's a comment period. Is, is, that, is that what I'm getting here? Yes, that's right. So um, they just opened it. And so I think it is 60 days, although uh, not uh, sure on that. It's either 60 or 30. And, uh, you know, incredibly important that the FTC hear from everyone, hear from your listeners, uh, you know, that this is something that they want. Uh, you know, I think industry will weigh in on the other side, as we know. And uh, this kind of impersonation is, is scary, dangerous and, and deceptive to regular people. So we just need to make sure that the FTC can get out a strong rule. So the question I have, let me let me put on the other side's hat. What's the argument for not? What would what could possibly be the argument for? No, we can't have any regulation. It would stifle innovation. What would possibly be the the argument to to not regulate the use of uh, of these tools to impersonate people for the purposes of fraud? What argument could you possibly make? Ugh, um, that's a hard one. It's not where I like to push my brain usually, <laughs> but. Um... I mean, I imagine it would be some variation on what you just said. You know, it, it, it stymies our ability to innovate. One of the things we want to do is be able to reach new people and new markets and, and voices and tones that they understand and relate to. And it could be used for good. It could be used to, to tell people how to register for Medicare. It could be used to tell people where to vote. It could be, I, I mean, everything about what's deceptive, you know, one could make the argument that it could be used for good. And maybe it would be if we had the appropriate guardrails. But um I don't want to trust to corporations that they will use it for good when the bottom line is at stake. And so uh, I certainly don't buy those arguments. No, I'm right there with you. But Lisa, I appreciate the thoughts. Uh, last question I've got for you. What should people do? What, what do our, our viewers, what do our listeners do uh, in the interim? Obviously, make comments to the FTC and, and say we yeah. need this. But but how, how, do you, how do you protect yourself? What are you paying attention to? Any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, you mentioned some of this earlier from the AG. I think um, absolutely if you fear that the the outreach that you've gotten from a family member or loved one uh, is fraudulent, just don't uh, don't react. Take a second, call back the person, um, follow up and confirm it was really then before you send money, before you do anything, before you change your plans, whatever the ask was, just make sure it's real. 
um, you know, this is going to become more and more pervasive. And so we absolutely need people to understand um, that that check is required before they before they act, before they send a check. Good stuff. Lisa Gilbert, I appreciate you taking time for us. Executive Vice President over at Public Citizen. Citizen.org, the website. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. For our free speech folks, thanks so much for tuning in. For our radio affiliates across the country, we're going to take a quick break. Back after this. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So interestingly enough, uh, an organization has come out with their list of top presidents. And and not not shocking, Lincoln at the very top of that list. Also not shocking, uh, Trump at the bottom. Uh, (laughs) What else did you expect? But the top five, you got Lincoln, Roosevelt, Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, and then Jefferson. Interestingly enough, you got Obama in there at number seven, Biden at 14, I don't know. I think Biden's done some really good stuff. Maybe closer. Uh, Eisenhower, 8. LBJ, 9. JFK, 10. Uh, Did I mention Trump, 45? Uh, Trump, 45. I had a Buchanan, Johnson, Pierce, Harrison, and Harding. Uh, None of us remember any of them. So the last, I do remember. And I agree. I absolutely, absolutely agree. Uh, anyway, here to share some thoughts on the top stories of the of the last couple of days. You may have heard um, there was a, a little fine levied against uh, 45. And here to share some thoughts on the the fine levying and you know, wh- where it's going to come from. I've asked our good friend Bob Nay to come share some thoughts. Bob's a former Ohio congressman and one of our our political analysts. Bob, thanks for taking time for us. Close to Columbus, Ohio, uh, Harding. Never met him, but we know that name in Ohio. In Ohio, maybe not for all the right reasons, right. but we know that name. Uh, no, look, you know, am I surprised he's last? No. I, how many of those other forty-four have an insurrection under their belt? How many of them went away, well, sore losers and, and whined and complained and tried to over? Uh, you know, it's that one was a pretty simple one. The rest of the jockeying around, eh, I guess it's, I guess it's who you prefer. Gotcha. I got to get your thoughts on the air treasons. I'm sure you saw over the weekend the big uh, the big news, the civil fraud trial against Donald Trump in New York uh, didn't go well for him. Uh, what was it, a $335 million fine, three years not doing business in the state. And really, honestly, uh, the, the fraud hat trick 
because uh, this is his third fraud conviction. If you remember, you had the Trump University thing. Uh, you had the charitable foundation that got, you know, had some some, some fraudulent problems. And now this, this big one. Um, thoughts? Well, this hits the pocketbook. And of course, uh, there's a question right now at the Republican National Committee, and some of it's been in the media, some of it's behind the scenes, that the next head, which somewhere in this process, Trump was kind of smart. He didn't just put his daughter right out front. He put her in a mix of three potential people, including the governor from South Carolina. But the question's being already circulated privately. What will happen with the new head of the RNC? Will they approve using RNC money for Trump lawsuits? So that's out there because the RNC has done some of the worst money raising, fundraising in modern history as of right now. Yeah. So it's not in the condition where if they go to pay Trump's legal fees or, a, for example, a fine, I don't think they could probably pay the fine, but they could pay legal fees. Then they're they're sunk, you know, for elections across the country as they try to use the money. Now, the toppling of three hundred some million in New York of the fine, uh, I I thought there'd be a fine. I wasn't sure how much it would be. Now Trump will argue that you know the business was perfect, uh, the judge is biased, you know, et cetera. But there's a legal process here, right? And uh, he'll appeal it. But there's also a situation where if if he loses, uh, I don't see a big problem of Trump can't run the company in New York. I don't see that as a huge problem. I don't see that he can't do business as Trump company New York. You know how they'll spin this off. One will be domiciled in Florida. Sure. One will be domiciled in Delaware. You know how this runs. He'll yeah, be fine. Yeah. He'll be fine. It's that it's that huge chunk of money. And in, in order to appeal it, he's got to come up with a big right. portion of it. Yeah. And the last I checked, he was at about 21 million in legal fees. And that's probably been two months. So it, it will take money, of course, to fight this. And they, they have to do a lot of research and, you know, legal fees, which can run three to four thousand dollars an hour. So. To me, the biggest part of this is not what I mentioned with doing business in three years. He can find ways around that loopholes, you know how the law is. But the money, the money is is what will will hit him. And of course, they'll go into an appeals process. Then you've got all the other court cases out there, which are interesting. It's like a whack-a-mole, you know, of what's going to happen here, what's going to happen in Georgia. But New York, if he continues the appeal process and loses new york hits hits at the belt it's it's money yeah it's big money but over the weekend he came out with a new new product a new uh new way to fleece the flock if you will uh the air treasons are out the gold plated tennis shoes uh with the big t and the flag and and all that only only 399 bucks so that means he's only gonna have to sell what about nine hundred thousand pair of those uh to pay off his fine yeah, I was looking at them. I was thinking, okay, are these going to be stylish or patriotic? God, well, they've got all a, could be. They got a flag, but they're gold plated or something. And the look, I actually had somebody who messaged me and said, "If I buy you a pair, will you wear them?" And I'm like, "No." 
If you buy me a pair, if if someone were to buy me a pair, I would wear them just long enough to go, see, I wore them, and then I would sell them to some other sucker because $400 for a pair of tennis shoes is insane. Who has 400 bucks to to buy a pair of shoes? You know. Right, then you could resell them for two hundred if you get them for free. That's true. Yeah, I, I'm all I'm all about that. But it it, it never I never it never ceases to amaze me that this guy figures out a way to feast the fleece the flock, and there will be people well, now, who buy them. Well, did you see where they had a bid on the on the, like the beginning pair, and the guy bought them for nine thousand dollars. Nine thousand. <laughs> Well, look, you know, the, the thing is, is you've got people out there starting GoFundMe pages. In fact, one of the, uh, uh, I see him on social media all the time. He's another one of these, you know, uh, you know, guys, you know, tr- fleecing the flock to make his fortune. Uh, him and his wife started a GoFundMe page. And last I checked, it raised like $300,000. And I'm going, you know, how is it possible that, that people, working people have this kind of money to throw at, at basically this generation's Leona Helmsley? Because that's what I've been call, what I've been saying about him. He was getting away with all of this stuff. He was getting away with it for years. And the second you start you start tout, you know flaunting this out in front and and saying I'm above the law and nobody can come get me and uh, you know I'm I'm Teflon Don, they do. Well, there was a whole cadre of people. You know the 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 mattress guy. And Giuliani, there's another great one, you know, they all got out there. I don't know what they thought they were going to be able to do by just getting out front and saying, I'll say what I want. I'll do what I want. I don't know where their minds were. I don't know if they thought they had protection or what was going to happen, but you've got this whole group of people, uh, Sydney, the, the, the one lawyer who's now pled guilty. They, they just, they went crazy with this stuff. The mattress guy, he, He's a number one example. Here was a guy that had a business. He was on TV with his pillows, you know. Yeah, pillow. Was he? Did he have mattresses too? No, I, no, I think he had uh, pillows and and like uh, things that you wear, uh, like sleeping right. no. pajamas he, or something. Or yeah, yeah. okay, so he didn't have mattresses, but he had pillows. And Mike, the pillow guy, and you know, he had this business and he had these goofy commercials, and I guess people bought them. And now he's, you know, done his best effort to tank himself there's this group of people that it's like they lost their minds yeah and what's interesting is i i'm on a list of of right-wing talk show hosts uh that i i I, because i like to know what they're doing and they're in the process of putting together like a a charity like a beggar's ball and what's going to be interesting over the next couple of months is how many of these beggars balls we're going to see as you know the my pillow guy you know, you know basically wasted his fortune trump's got himself in trouble giuliani's in trouble and you go down the list of all these people who you know who are going to need massive legal funds to defend themselves because they broke the law and i, I keep hearing this frame and help me here if you will because uh, I've had a bunch of people go, well, you know, if they could do it to him, they could do it to you, too. Or they could do it to any one of us. And I go, my response is, if you break the law, they, they come after us much more frequently than they go after him. The fact that they went after a guy who claims to be a billionaire, that is a big freaking deal. Coming after you or me or or any other working stiff, that's just a, that's just a, a Monday or a Tuesday. True. That's true. Uh, you know, going for the top of the of the food chain, that's a different story because they have money. And when you have money, you can, 
you know, defend certain things. When you don't have money, you're going to not be able to, yeah. to defend things. Even if you have the ability to present your case, you have to do it when it comes to money. Now, eventually, though, there's so many of these people now that are spread out, and some of them are going to the same resources, you know, the same billionaires, and even the billionaires uh, are not necessarily funding all of them. So there's going to be this scramble. Plus, then you've got the Senate and the House campaign committees, the Republican National Committee. They're all delving out there for these dollars, and that's why the Republican National Committee is as is at one of its lowest fundraising situations that it's had in modern times because you know after a while this is so spread out so many fingers in the soup i guess as as we say that uh, there's even with the billionaires there's not enough resources to to run around or look rich people are, are they got rich not by being not stupid uh, the return True. on investment for bailing out some of these people is not going to be as great. Now, I think Trump will get some money out of it because they think he's going to be president. Sure. And, you know, maybe they'll try and give some money to the RNC, which I find interesting that, you know, our for- former Arkansas governor, Asa Hutchinson, uh, is saying, look, you know, we've got a, whoever's going to be the, the RNC head right. should pledge not to pay any of Trump's legal fees, which I got to tell you, I think is kind of right. Well, of course, because. Look, with the goal of the Republican National Committee, just like the goal of the Democrat National Committee, is to do one thing, and that's to elect Democrats or elect Republicans. Right. And if they're spending $21 million, et cetera, and they only have $15 million, you can do the math. I mean, they, they only have so many resources right now, and it's because, of course, they have a chaotic situation in the House. Uh, Trump's out there, you know, getting money through fundraisers. So some of the big boys aren't contributing to the Republican National Committee right now, or maybe they're giving to Trump, or maybe they're angry and they're not contributing, period, right? So as a result, if they take what monies they have, and if any amount, a million, two million, three million, goes into Trump's legal fees, I mean, Hutchinson's right, uh, former governor of Arkansas. You know, if, if it happens the fund's going to be depleted. So he's out there. You know, I know they're talking privately about it. He's out there throwing it out for the public venue that, uh, look, the next head has to commit that they're not going to do it. No. Of course, you've got committee people too. Some will want to do it. Some won't want to do it. But it's a fight that they really shouldn't have and they don't want to have. Paying the legal fees would be would be a precedent that they surely don't want to set. Now, they've already paid some legal fees up to the point where he announced as a candidate, they had paid some, I'm not sure, Rick, what for, but I think they paid a couple million legal fees previous. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it really, it's, it's quite remarkable. But, you know, I, I guess not surprising uh, in that Trump is, has always been able to get other people to, to shoulder the burden, to foot the bill, and it's generally been working people. Then look, my my Teamsters Union gave the RNC forty five thousand dollars, so I'm thrilled to find out that that my dues dollars are going to potentially bailing out uh, Donald Trump from his legal bills. Uh, it's it's just it's just crazy to me. Now I got to get your thought on something else. Uh, Congress out out of session. The House, I guess, is going to be out of session until the twenty eighth, uh, the end of the month, twenty eighth, twenty ninth. Still haven't got a funding bill. For, for Ukraine, still haven't done anything on immigration, really haven't done anything 
uh, to speak of, especially in this this Johnson tenure. Uh, thoughts? Well, some of the opponents to McCarthy are saying that McCarthy is making, uh, you know, Johnson uh, look like so, so not a good speaker, as they say. So Johnson's time is being now viewed as not as good as McCarthy, which I never thought, you know, we'd be hearing that. And of course, McCarthy's kind of out there publicly right now doing the, the news uh, media gambit. But as far as the House itself, it hasn't had a stellar record whatsoever. Look, the one thing that they promised to do, they did some foolish things. McCarthy did some foolish things in changing the rules, vacating the seat by one person, really foolishness. But the one thing that they did commit to do, which was really great, was to have the individual budget bills to go back to what Congress used to do when I was there, at least in 95, 96, 97, you know, Bill Clinton was president. We we had uh, control of the House, and we produced individual budgets, which the Senate weighed in on, and the president could weigh in on. Now they promised to do that, and they've done. I think maybe, maybe one, maybe the Senate actually did some of them. So they defaulted on that promise. The ultra conservatives, because I'm, they're they're actually one of the Republican sites is calling them chock full of nuts. And that's Matt Gates and seven or eight other people. The Freedom they Caucus. Don't want, they don't want anything. And uh, even Johnson himself, the speaker, has said, look, you know, this these will all be poison pills. We can't even pass them in our own chamber. So that is, to me, the number one failure there. But then they wanted a border bill. We all know what happened in the Senate. Uh, the whole thing fell apart. The House could have made its mark on the border bill. It could have uh, stayed out of interfering with the Senate. Trump could have stayed out of the interference. The bill could have came over. The House could have said, yeah, that's not a good bill. Here, here's our bill. One of the reasons they couldn't, they can't decide on a bill. Right. They don't have the votes to get a bill because there'll be poison pills put in that bill by the eight, the gang of eight, who then will bring the bill down if, if it's not what they want. So. This is a catch-22 that sometimes when I talk about it, it just blows my mind. And then there's the style of the speaker, which has been to take bills to the floor and lose. Nancy Pelosi, and I've said this, I said it on radio the other day uh, to a host who I know doesn't like her. I said, what you have to recognize about her, if you don't like Nancy Pelosi, realize she didn't lose bills on the floor. She was smart enough to know yep. you don't lose bills on the floor as the speaker. This speaker doesn't get it, Rick. So she could count total chaos. The the house has has no guidance, and if any of the gang of eight or nine of them, if they come forth and try to vacate that seat, and this is what's keeping the speaker alive. If they vacate that seat, they are finished. The house has no hopes to remain Republican because they will fight, as you know, for what. 30 days, 60 days over the next speaker, multiple rounds. Yeah. So uh, less than stellar year. Now they have, you know, an impeachment of the um, right on the deadline of one vote impeachment of uh, Mayorkas, which is of course dead on arrival. And uh, they didn't have solid grounds. Incompetence is not a ground of impeachment. Uh, you know, also the lack of border policy of the Congress causes the bureaucracy to act as it does. 
whether it's Biden or Trump before him or Obama, the, they, the, the bureaucracy of the White House, the executive branch responds to the lack of effort of Congress in passing laws. So again, there's another failure of the House. I never thought I would say that the Senate Republicans have have more on the ball than the House Republicans. No, I mean, it's it's sad but because, you know, Johnson's, you know, priorities have been, you know, he said, you know, the border and and you know, getting funding to Ukraine. And he's fallen down and failed on both of those, even though Democrats want something to be moved on both of those things. And, you know, for me, for them to go home uh, and to leave, especially on the on the on, on these two issues and to do nothing, uh, political malpractice, uh, you know, just plain stupid, but, you know, very well, telling in my view. Well, also, there's a thing about going home. I went through it for 11 years. Sometimes you go home, things are okay. Sometimes you go home, you leave Washington with something undone, and you hear about it day after day, hour after hour, unless you, you know, just don't go around your district at all. Stay out of the district. Yeah, it it causes, uh, you know, a, a round of political excitement that you don't necessarily want. So going home and having all these unanswered questions, at least they could have made, you know, some type of, statement on the uh, the funding bill, because what they're going to do is they're going to reduce the Ukraine. They're going to reduce uh, Israel. They're reducing the Ukraine by about, I think, 20 billion, Israel by maybe 4 billion. And then the other funding doesn't reduce as much, maybe by a, a billion or so. So they're giving another bill the House is going to that will be less funding. Some people have grabbed onto that. Lindsey Graham uh, being one of them that said, okay, you know, they could accept that, but they didn't even do that. They, they did, they didn't make their mark and then go home and broadcast what you did or defend what you did. They're just going home in limbo. It's not a good site. And it's something you shouldn't do when you've got big issues out there that are pressing, especially with the the statement yesterday by the former president of Russia about using nukes on Washington, DC. He made that statement. You still have Congressman Mike Turner, who's telling what, you know, his statement about national security. Some people, Democrat and Republican, are defending him. Some are saying, oh, this is nonsense, you know. Uh, you, you still have that, you know, that issue out there. So I think if they would have stayed and resolved a few of these, it would have been a lot better. It would have been a lot better if they just do their jobs. But, Bob, as always, sure. I appreciate the time. Always great stuff, great insight. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our good friend, Bob Nay. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at ricksmithshow.com. Going to take a quick break. Right back after this. Stick around. This is The Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1950. That was the day the Red Scare took its toll on the U.S. labor movement. The Congress of Industrial Organizations expelled the International Union of Mine, Mill, and Smelter workers for their alleged communist ties. Although small in numbers, communist organizers had played an important role in building the large industrial unions that were the core of the CIO. 
During the CIO's 1949 convention, this anti-communist hysteria was on full display. There, the CIO delegates decided to bar any individual with communist affiliations from serving as union officers. Their panic did not stop there, as the CIO leadership also voted to revoke the charters of unions they deemed too closely aligned with the communists. Immediately, the convention threw out the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers. During the 1950s, more unions were caught up in the purge, including the International Union of Longshoremen and Warehousemen. In all, the anti-communist frenzy saw 11 unions ousted from the House of Labor. According to a report to Congress by the Department of Labor, the cause of these expulsions was that the union's, quote, espousal of Soviet Russia became increasingly distasteful to the CIO leadership and rank-and-file membership. Cold War fear-mongering had effectively isolated isolated the most left-leaning unions in the country. The impact on the labor movement was long-lasting. After the purge, unions took a much more moderate stance on things like civil rights. This hampered their organizing efforts in the South. To this day, there is less union representation in Southern states. It also pushed the CIO closer to the Democratic Party and paved the way for the CIO's reunification with the more politically moderate American Federation of Labor. You're listening to The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. So I'm going to kick out of this Rolling Stone story. Uh, evidently, a Twitter uh, commentator, a guy named Chicago Ray, evidently a big trucker, uh, a pro-Trump trucker and, and right-wing influencer. Uh, he is saying that uh, they're going to start refusing to take loads in and out of out of New York City. Uh, and I love how Rolling Stone reported this. At least 10 other truckers. So this, you know, one guy with 10 other truckers. Now this is this this generates a story. And you you have, you know, MAGA world jumping onto it because they they amplify this stuff really well. And and understand, you know, you got a handful of these independent truckers who ratchet jaw all day long. Uh, and we're going to get all worked up. We're not going into New York. Now, never mind for truck drivers who've gone into New York City. It ain't easy. <laughs> Uh, you got low bridges everywhere. You've got, you know, the, the tolls are crazy. You get, man, if you get lost, you're you're screwed. The fines are crazy. The congestion fees that are coming are going to be crazy. It is, for a truck driver, a nightmare going in and out of New York City. That they're okay with. Don't care about that. Don't care about that kind of treatment. Don't care about, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. But Trump... But Trump being held accountable. And I had a, one of my trucker buddies say, well, you know, you know, if, if they could do it to Donald Trump, they could do it to anybody. They could do it to you. And I'm going, hey, dumb dumb. Uh, if you break the law, they're going to come and get you. If you, you do any of the things that Trump has done, you would already be in jail. Look at all those people from January 6th who are locked up. Uh, the difference here is they went after someone in Trump's rarefied air. They went after some the, the Leonie Helmsley of our generation. Yeah, they go after truck drivers all the time. They go after people all the time who break the law. And we should be we should be we should be celebrating the fact that someone went after Trump. But but Rick, you know, he paid it all back. <laughs> okay. If I go and rob a bank but I take the money back tomorrow, am, am I okay? If I borrow money out of the till at work and I pay it back on payday, is that okay? If I lie 
and cheat and do all those things to get you know better better terms for a contract that you may not have gotten is that okay because that's what he did and he, he's been doing it for decades and yet you've got working people and this is the part that blows my mind you've got working people who are truly struggling out there defending this behavior now, he's smart he doesn't pay taxes and I don't know if it's a kind of a jealousy. I wish I could get away with it. So I'm going to live vicariously through this guy who, who's lying and cheating and stealing to, to make himself look richer. This is this is the third fraud. <laughs> I mean, come on. At some point when you've got the the fraud hat trick, you know, maybe you go, hmm, guy with, you know, what, five, six, seven bankruptcies, a guy who doesn't care about you know, working people doesn't care about the contractors he stiffs or anybody but himself. And yet you've got working people. Look, this this truck driver, Ray, he evidently drives somewhere. Uh, this is a guy who does some work out there going, for Donald Trump, I'm going to refuse loads. And look, he probably doesn't go into New York City anyway. Chicago, Chicago's a much easier place to get around in than, than New York. Uh, but this is one of those things where probably not going anywhere near there anyway, but... But this is where we are. It's crazy. It's crazy. And and this is the part that blows my mind, that people will will stand up and they will defend Donald Trump at every at every turn because it's a cult. Uh, look, there's nobody that I'm going to defend if they're wrong. If you did it and the judge did it. Um, what's the thing? Do the crime, pay the time. This is it. And O'Donnie, pay your bills. Uh, if you missed any of today's program, grab the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. We will see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick, Email Rick. at rick at com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show where working people come to talk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.